Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview episode and we are so excited to bring you another interview as we inch closer and closer to Tokyo 2020. Can you believe it? I can officially say to you that the Olympics start next week. It feels like it's been forever because it kind of has. It's been longer than usual, but we're excited here at Off The Podium, of course, to get to Tokyo 2020 and cover those games for you. But that doesn't mean we're still not going to bring you some great episodes in the lead up to really get you pumped and excited ahead of the Olympic Games. Today, we're going to be talking about the sport of diving with an Australian representative, Laura Hingston, who unfortunately did not make the Tokyo team, but there's a very heartbreaking story behind why she didn't. She was on track to make the Olympics, and as you'll hear in our interview with her today, just some unfortunate circumstances came about which saw her unable to make the team. But it doesn't stop this from being a very interesting chat, Laura's journey to going into the sport of diving and uh, how she transitioned from another sport into it and uh, a series of results along the way and kind of her goals moving forward as she obviously switches her sights now to a spot on the Paris 2024 team and also gives us a bit of an insight on who we should be looking out for on the Australian diving team at the Tokyo Olympics and what our chances are for some medals in that sport. It's a great chat. You're going to enjoy it. And we're going to play it for you right now. My chat with Australian diver, Laura Hingston. It's a massive pleasure to welcome our next guest here to Off The Podium. Our first chance to talk about the sport of diving and our guest today has competed in a myriad of different events around the world over the last few years including making the semi-finals of the women's platform in the 2019 world aquatic championships and i for one am very excited to talk about this sport because it's a sport that i know little about i've tried it once and yeah there's a reason why i'm not a diver at any point but maybe we can find out today from our guest laura hingston about why she is a diver and why this sport is so awesome and amazing and we need to learn more about it laura welcome to off the podium it's a pleasure to have you on the show today thank you so much for having me <laughs> when, I, when i say i tried it i think i got up on one of the diving board once and belly flopped quite severely into a pool so uh, I, I don't know if that's really trying but uh, I, I mean i it's it's a sport that i i'm in awe every time i watch people do this sport because it's just one of these ones which it's just amazing how you are able to do what you do and just the the, the amount of tricks and everything you can do in the space of a short amount of time. I mean, the obvious question I have to start with, Laura, is I mean, what, what brought you into the sport of diving? Well, just quickly, if it makes you feel any better, I also, when I first started the sport, had 
plenty of belly whackers. So, <laughs> um, makes me feel so, a lot better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I got into the sport um, as an elite gymnast before, and unfortunately had back surgery. So that ultimately ended my gymnastics career. I still really wanted to try and make an Olympics. So for me, it was always just all right. What sport can I do next? And diving was on the horizon, and I gave it a go, and I absolutely loved it. Great, great. So it was just on the Olympic thing, was that sort of the, the goal in general, like why you got into gymnastics? Was this kind of a, a young, you know, as a child, you saw the Olympics, you wanted to make the Olympics, so you kind of chose that path or were you already in gymnastics and then that was just the end goal when you were in the sport of gymnastics? No, it was actually, I saw the 2000 Olympics on TV. I had no idea what it was. I'd never seen it before. I was five years old and I was just mesmerized by it. And I remember running into my mum's room and I was mom, what is this? What is this? And it was the gymnastics at the time. And I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I begged my parents to let me start gymnastics. It actually took three years before they let me. And yeah, I feel just literally from that moment, I was just so inspired. And I don't know, I felt like that's what I, that's what I was meant to do. I think every child who was in Australia watching the Sydney Olympics had some sort of moment they remember watching. I remember the gymnastics, Jai Wallace obviously winning the silver medal was a, was a pretty big deal there uh, for, for us to win our only ever Olympic medal in the sport. Was, were you looking at the trampolining? Were you sort of looking at artistic, rhythmic? Were you into the, the ribbons and the balls? I mean, kind of was there a, a specific uh, part of gymnastics that you got into? The first time that I was watching it, it was artistic gymnastics and they were... Um, I actually distinctly remember just watching them flip around. And obviously as a kid, a young girl, we're always doing cartwheels. So I was like, wow, what is this? And they're doing really cool tricks. How can I do that? So for me, it was artistic, but over the two weeks, I was just obsessed with it. I watched every sport. I tried to stay up as late as I could to watch everything. I didn't want to miss anything. I tried to say that I was going to sleep on the couch so that I wouldn't miss anything. Um, I just was absolutely mesmerized. I just loved it. With the gymnastics, you said it took a few years to get your parents to let you do it. What was their kind of, uh, you know, thing to hold you back? Was it like, oh, no, I don't want you to do this sport. We'd rather you do something else. Or was it kind of just a case of you didn't maybe really sort of explain how much you wanted to do it? I mean, it's sort of interesting that I feel gymnastics is not one of those sports that parents maybe don't want you to do. I thought that would be one of the ones, oh, yeah, go, go for it. Gymnastics is fine. You're not doing BMX or, you know, extreme diving or something like that. I think just my parents knew how hard it was. It's obviously gymnastics is a very hard sport. And I also was a dancer and I was a, I was dancing many hours a week and I was a little ballerina um, and I absolutely loved dancing as well. And I definitely did beg them to do gymnastics. So they definitely did know how much I wanted to do it. I it was every birthday, every Christmas, it was the top of my list to do gymnastics. So I definitely did tell them how much I wanted to do it. Um, I'm not entirely sure why they didn't let me. I think it was just because I was so happy in dancing and I perhaps did have a career to in, like in ballet. So, um, yeah, I think they just were trying to protect me a little bit because they knew it was so hard. <laughs> who, who, who knew that, uh, you know, 24 years later, if you had stuck to dancing, you could have gone break dancing, you could have been a break dancer at the Paris Olympics. Now that that's coming in a few years' time. So, <laughs> Yeah, how amazing. Yeah, absolutely crazy to think that. So uh, how far did you end up going with gymnastics sort of before the injury? I mean, were, were you on the path to represent Australia one day at the Olympics in the sport? I like to think so. Obviously, I had back surgery just before the 2012 Olympics. So the trials, we had all of our Olympic camps. I was on the national team 
at that point. Um, I may have been a little bit young for that team. I think where I was meant to peak was probably the 2014 Commonwealth Games. But again, that was something that I definitely was striving for. Um, and look, I wasn't I was an elite gymnast, so again, you you're always um, trying to make that team. But you just never know with sport with injuries, timing. Unfortunately, we haven't qualified a team for the last two Olympics. So that's been pretty devastating for a lot of my friends and teammates who I used to train with, because it means that only individual athletes have been able to go to the Olympics. So the opportunity there for multiple athletes from Australia to make that Olympic dream a reality has been quite tough. So it's really hard to know um, what my outcome would have been, but I know I would have been training pretty hard to try and make it a reality. And obviously we're here to talk to you about diving. We will talk about diving, but just with gymnastics, I mean, it's it seems to be a very age-dependent sport. It seems to be one of these ones that when you sort of hit 20, you're almost a veteran, you're almost too old. I mean, is it, is it that case when you're sort of competing in that level that it is sort of when you're in your teens, that's when you're at your peak and the older you get, you kind of the opportunity does fall a little bit further away? Definitely. I think that is changing a little bit though. I know a few of my teammates who um, were trying to make this Olympic team and try and qualify themselves individually. One of my friends, Georgia, she's actually 26. So it definitely has changed a lot. I know when I was younger, it definitely was. You're at your prime between 16 and 18. Um, But again, I think it's just really personal. People are hitting their peaks, their physical peaks at such different times. And there are quite a few athletes around the world or gymnasts around the world who actually are getting a little bit older now. And I think it's really exciting to see that. I mean, even Simone Biles, she's, I guess she's not 16, um, but she's just amazing. She's obviously one of the great gymnasts of all time. So I think just the culture of gymnastics is changing in many ways and age is just one of them. Was there not a gymnast in Rio in her 40s. I remember there being like a really big thing. It was, she was some from somewhere from Europe, was she not? And that was like a pretty – she was in like a fifth or sixth Olympics or something like that? Yes, I think she's actually just qualified for her another Olympics. Really? Uh, which is wow. super exciting. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just – it's so fascinating to kind of watch some of these sports when they're talking about on the coverage. Like a 26-year-old, a veteran of the sport, and it's like, wow, that's – uh. That's fascinating. So when the transition came to diving, um, was that something that you had kind of had an eye on? Was it something you recruited for? Because I know sort of with gymnastics, it translates into some different sports. Alyssa Camplin, for example, and a lot of aerial skiers kind of have from a gymnastics, David Morris, you know. So was that was that an option maybe to go the winter route, go aerials, or was diving always kind of that one that you thought would be a better idea? So I actually sat, I was a VIS gymnast. So I actually sat down with the Victorian Institute of Sport. And at the time they had a talent pathways manager. And we actually worked out what I'd be best suited for. And aero skiing was one of them, diving and pole vault. So they were the three top picks for me. I actually was pretty desperate to do aero skiing. I was super excited. And unfortunately, they just didn't have a coach for me. It was really last minute. And they said, all right, we're pretty keen to have you, but can you come back next year? And for me, I was 18 at the time and I did feel quite old, especially to be starting a new sport. So I was pretty motivated to get going and pretty determined to get started in a new sport. So I actually went over to diving and I was like, all right, we'll try the next one. We'll go to diving. And I just loved it. And I just, I didn't even try pole vault. I didn't even (laughs) um, continue to pursue aerial skiing. I just loved diving and I knew that was probably the best fit for me. Um, and definitely now that I'm in the sport and I've watched Lydia Lassler's documentary, The Will to Fly, I 
definitely feel like I've made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's some of these sports are just crazy. I mean, pole vault's definitely one of these ones where it's that makes sense with the gymnastics connection because I'd love to speak to a pole vaulter and be like, so so what made you want to run with a giant pole and flip yourself over that and then fall flat on your back? Like it's there are definitely some sports at the Olympics where I feel like there are questions about how you get into. You're not just running, you know, a straight line. <laughs> you, you, there's some there's some effort involved in there, I think, to why you switch into that. <laughs> definitely. So when it came to switching over uh, and, you know, obviously I can see that the transition of skills, you know, a lot of sort of uh, acrobatics and, and tumbling and sort of, uh, you know, you're doing the, the skills and everything that you're doing in the air. I mean, outside of the obvious things, what are some of the other sort of ones from gymnastics that really do translate across into diving? I think just a lot of the mental side that I learned from gymnastics, which obviously is about how to deal with fear, how to deal with the nerves, because I can tell you right now, standing on top of that 10 meter, especially for the first time, I was physically shaking. So for me, that was something that I had learned in gymnastics, how to deal with, because gymnastics, some of the skills can be quite scary, especially on the beam. Um, so for me, those skills were really important to bring over to my diving career and pathway. Um, of course, the aerial awareness, which is what you mentioned, was is a big one. So being able to flip and twist was pretty important. I think that's why my transition into diving was quite fast. So I, I was able to acquire a lot of my dives off 10 meter very quickly. I still look like a gymnast. And this was something that I still work on to this day on a lot of my takeoffs. Um, a lot of the commentators do note that, oh, she must have been a gymnast. So it's something that I'm still working on to try and get rid of a few of those gymnastics habits. But yeah, they're probably the main things. A lot of the mental skills and then, of course, yeah, the aerial awareness. What are the gymnastics habits? Like how are, how is a commentator able to pinpoint that you were a gymnast and not just a, a diver that you've been diving since a young age? Well, if it's not my handstand that gives it away, I do typically hold my handstand for a little bit longer than most. Um, and, it, and that's completely unintentional. I don't realise I hold it that long. Um but it's a lot of my takeoffs. So gymnasts tend to use a lot more of their shoulders because we're quite strong upper body, whereas diving is very quad dominant. And so for me, it's just a, it's probably a bit hard to explain, but it's the way that I swing my arms to get that power to jump off the 10 meter. Doesn't quite look like I've been diving for 10 years. It has a little bit of a gymnastic swing in there, um, but it's definitely getting better and I guess once I, because I've been a gymnast for so long, those habits aren't going to, are going to be there for a little bit until I've, I guess I've been diving for a little bit longer. And is that something that judges mark down? You need to sort of remove that aspect or is it something that isn't really marked upon that style? I think now, um, probably not. It's probably not as noticeable now. Um, when I first started, definitely, because the parabola of how I jumped off the platform, I was probably jumping a bit too far away from the platform in the beginning because I was throwing my shoulders back rather than jumping as high as I could to get that rotation and the height. So definitely in the beginning, I would say yes, but I would hope not now. Um, for me, I feel like I look like a diver. It's just some commentators who are quite experienced probably just see a little bit of a, a gymnastic swing in there and 
I guess it's just a point to talk about. <laughs> you, you just need people like me, Laura, to commentate who really know nothing. And I just go, wow, that was incredible. <laughs> like literally I, I watch it and I, every single dive, unless there's a massive splash, I'm like, that was incredible. And then I'm listening to the commentator, oh, no, the execution, that one arm was one millimetre to the left there. She's going to get deducted. I'm just like, what? That looked brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I think just because especially it's such a – high level in every sport you are, I guess, in our sport, you're chasing that perfect 10. So they are really looking for the little parts that are wrong. And that's where the commentators are coming in just to show the audience that, all right, she only got a nine and a half on this dive because of this or, um, and just really providing that context for the audience. So I think to the general public or even to my parents, they probably wouldn't notice the gymnastics little takeoff that I still maybe have, but um, yeah, definitely some of the experts are probably looking for it, to be honest. I'm still not over uh, Pyeongchang with David Morris when he, he had a better landing than, um, I can't remember the name of the Chinese athlete, and he didn't even uh, make it uh, into the final. And I was like, what the hell are you going on about? I think Australia still hasn't gotten over that. It's been over three years. And yet, we're again, we're just the, the armchair experts, and you're all watching, oh, yeah, no, he was right. Yep, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to choosing the discipline in diving obviously you've got everything from a one meter springboard until the the 10 meter platform um is that a case where you're sitting down with the vis and you're working out your skills what would be transferable because i mean i could imagine that if you hate heights you're not going to do a 10 meter platform you're going to stick to the one meter one but i is it skill dependent really of what your gymnastic skills translate across best to Definitely. And it's definitely very individual. Uh, For me, I actually was terrified of heights when I first started diving, (laughs) but I also knew that I wanted to do the 10 meter platform because they do the handstand dive. And I love doing handstands in gymnastics. And that was kind of my thing. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do in diving. But again, I think it definitely is super individual because the board definitely chooses you. For me, although the springboard is lower, it is quite hard to learn the timing of the bounce and quite frankly I find it quite scary (laughs) (laughs) um so for me yeah 10 meter was definitely the obvious choice I think a lot of gymnasts transfer a lot easier to the platform just because of the surface as I said the springboard does take quite a lot of skill and time to really learn that skill so I think in terms of a quick progression and a into the sport gymnasts typically take to the platform um, a lot quicker how many seconds do you generally have from the moment you launch into hitting the pool? And and how many tricks can you, the, the best divers in the world, fit into that period? So you have about 1.6 seconds from when you leave wow. the platform. Yeah. So we hit the water at 60 kilometers per hour. So it's pretty fast from the 10 meter. The best and one of the most difficult skills in the world um, would be the front four and a half. That's four and a half somersaults in the tuck position. Typically, that's what the boys do. There are a few females in the world that do it, which I think is super exciting. Um, For me, I really like the handstand dives. So I'm going to typically, hopefully, be trying to push that envelope in trying to get a two and a half twister on my handstand rather than a one and a half twist. So there's plenty of different skills that you can do and plenty of different dives you can do. I just, you need to work to your strengths. And Front direction is definitely not mine. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, how, to put that into context, when you're, say, going on the vault in gymnastics, is that a similar timing that you've kind of got the, the 1.5 seconds, 1.6 seconds, or is it is it less, is it more? 
It's actually a really good question. And I'm not actually sure um, how long <laughs> you have on the vault. I definitely didn't have that long. Vault was an apparatus that I did struggle with. It wasn't my favorite apparatus in gym. Um, what so was yeah, your not, favorite? What was sure. your forte in, in gymnastics? The uneven bars. Ah, nice. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> I pretty I mean, much, yeah. much liked all of them except for Vault. <laughs> except for Vault. I, I chose a good yeah. one there to go with the example for that one, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, – it's, again, I, I don't even think I can do a flip, just a forward roll. I remember in primary school when you sort of, you know, had to do gymnastics in your school hall or your your gym, you know, like do a forward roll, do a back roll. I, I struggled with that. and. I, I can imagine that first time you mentioned that like, you get up there, you, you see that tennis, you're like, how the fuck am I going to do, you know, three of these going down in 1.6 seconds? When you first get up there and you're sort of transitioning, kind of what, are they just getting you to simply get used to the height, kind of just do a couple of, you know, free dives or something along those lines to kind of get used to it and then you just build up to doing the, the skills and the tricks? Yeah, definitely. As soon as you, I think you even just start off doing a pin drop. You're running and doing a pin drop off to begin with. And then you'll do just a roll off into a dive and then you'll go into some of the easier dives, which we call compulsories or requireds. Um, and that's literally just a, a front dive, a back dive. And that's just to learn control and build up the, I guess, the conditioning for your shoulders because obviously the impact is quite quite high. And then you start getting into your optional dives. So they are the big ones. So they are the really um, the high difficulty ones with all the twists and the flips. But again, there's always a, a phase where you're building up to it. So a lot of my dives, I'll train on five meter first and I'll be doing the two and a halves on five meter. And then when that's ready, I'll go up to the 10 meter and then I'll add another somersault. So I'll be doing the three and a half on 10 meter. So there definitely is a phase of uh, preparation and they're definitely not just chucking you up there in the beginning and saying, all right, chuck a front three and a half. <laughs> um, so. When it comes to training, obviously, diving, doing a lot of dives, I can imagine, as you said, obviously going on some of the smaller ones to, to practice that as well. Is it a sport that you can say jump on a trampoline and practice some of the, the when you just don't want to get wet, I guess, all the time and kind of other methods you can do to practice those skills without always constantly jumping off a diving board? Yes, definitely. Actually, a lot of our training is done in the dry land. So the dry land has a foam pit, trampolines, springboards into the foam pit. We'll be doing flips onto crash mats. So that's where we learn a lot of our technique. That's what we also have harnesses in there. So you still are able to do, that's where you originally will learn your front three and a half. You'll just get the feeling, you'll be able to see what it feels like. And then you'll transition that into the water. So a lot of our skills, yeah, are developed in the dry land. And that's a really important aspect of our training as well. At what point, once you were transitioned into diving, uh, did you sort of start to, no pun intended, with water make waves? I mean, kind of, was this something that you just took to immediately and kind of made progression through the ranks? I mean, at that point, was this something where this Olympic dream was coming on quickly or was it sort of more of a case of you were learning along the way and kind of gradually made your way up the ladder a little bit? I did make it really clear when I first started and when I was transitioning into a new sport that I wasn't just doing this for fun. I mean, obviously I was going to enjoy the process and enjoy the journey, but I definitely had that end goal in mind. So I really wanted to, even though I was coming in at, at 18 years old, which I actually felt was quite old at the time, looking back, I, I was actually still quite young. I, I think that was really important to let them know that, all right, I really need, like, can you guys put the time into me? Because this is a serious dream for me that I really want to achieve. So 
um, I, pr- I was pretty determined. I worked pretty hard. Um, and it was, I think it was one of my very first competitions. I actually finished third. So that was, well, it was my second competition, but they were pretty, pretty close. And that was a national competition. And that was probably where I first um, made my mark. And obviously no one really knew who I was. So that was quite a fun experience at the start of the week. Everyone's like, well, who are you? Who are you? Where have you come <laughs> from? And then I actually finished third. So, wow. um, yeah, that was, that was pretty exciting for me. And I had really worked hard uh, that year to try and get all my dives. I mean, I think sometimes to put it into perspective, people are diving for quite a few years before they get all their dives. And I was diving only 11 months and I had all my dives. Um, from literally stepping on the platform for the very first time. So a few of them weren't perfect, um, but I, I still had the dives. And I think that was, now that I look back at it, that's a pretty pretty proud moment for me that I was able to achieve that. And in terms of timing, so was this uh, pre-Rio? Was this kind of after Rio? And sort of if it was after, was that then always, okay, goal set to Tokyo? Or if it was pre-Rio, was there any chance you could have made 2016? So it was before Rio. I started diving in 2014 and unfortunately I got injured. Um, so Rio was out of the question about six months, even before the trial even happened. So unfortunately I hurt my shoulder and we had to, so there's pre-qualifying things that you have to do to even make it to the Olympic trial. So you have to get a certain score. And it was that December competition I was only five points off making the national squad score. And wow. unfortunately I hurt my arm and it was my decision that I actually decided to compete the next weekend to try and make that score so that I could give myself the opportunity to trial for that Olympics, whether I would have made the team, whether I would have been ready, who knows, but I just wanted to try and give myself the best opportunity because I competed that next weekend and I was injured. I just made it a lot worse. And unfortunately it meant that I was out of the water for the next 10 months. So I completely missed everything. Um, and yeah, I just straight away turned my focus to the next Olympics and just getting better. I think that's the, that's the big thing for me is although that Olympics is obviously the dream, it's always just about trying to get better. And there's so many competitions in between that, that I was always striving for. And I mean, we have so many great divers in the 10 meter event in this country. So it is very competitive and I knew I had a long way to go. So still, and still to this day, always learning and always striving to just be the best that I can be. Well, it's, um, when it comes to our history in particularly in the Olympics in diving, uh, I mean, two of our three gold have, have come from the, the 10 meter event, obviously, uh, Chantel Newbury back in Athens and of course, Matthew Mitchin in Beijing. So it's, it's obviously, we've got a bit of history, uh, in, in the 10 meter platform. Is this kind of Australia's speciality is that we can just jump off high things and do it quite <laughs> well enough to, uh, to do so well at the Olympics? That's a good question. I think honestly, we, we just have some, I mean, even now when we look at some of our really experienced divers, I mean, Maddie Keeney is one of our top divers and she's a world champ. Um, and unfortunately she's not going to this Olympics, but I mean, she's, she's one of the best divers in the world and she's actually a three meter diver. So we definitely have talent on the three meter and the 10 meter. And, um, yeah, I think we have some really exciting divers and some really exciting results to come up at this Olympics and, and definitely for the Olympics to follow. Well, I was going to talk to you about the Olympic trials soon and obviously what went down this year, but I mean, just while we're on that page of, of our 
divers that are going to, to Tokyo uh, next week. I can officially say next week now. Um, I mean, do we have anyone that we should be keeping an eye on? Have we got any sort of real medal prospects that uh, are in with a hunt with some medals coming up in Tokyo? Yeah, I think, I mean, that we have a great team going. We have seven athletes going, which is a, a quite a small team. And unfortunately, that was due to COVID. And um, we weren't able to get to some of the qualifying meets. So the World Cup, we weren't able to go. So that means we have no synchro teams going to the Olympics, which is absolutely devastating because I we really did have some opportunity there to end up on the podium for some of our synchro teams. In terms of our individual athletes that are going, I mean, we definitely have some super experienced athletes. We have Annabelle Smith, who is... Uh, Olympic bronze medalist in a three meter synchro and she'll be going with Esther who's also an Olympian and a very experienced diver they they both did a really world-class performance at the Olympic trials so I'll be really excited to watch them we have Cassiel Russo and Sam Fricker in the 10 meter Cassiel I've never seen someone spin so fast in my life <laughs> <laughs> he's still really new to the sport um, but he has such a, a huge future in the sport and I, I really can't wait to see where he matches up on the world stage at this Olympics. And Shashin Lee, three meter, he uh, is a two-time world champion. Um, and again, he did a really great performance uh, at trials. And then in my event, we actually have Nikita Haynes, who's my synchro partner, and Melissa Wu. So Melissa Wu is a veteran of the sport and has uh, so many Olympics, medals to her name. She, she's, she's been around yeah. for a while, hasn't she? Yeah. She has, and honestly, she's looking the best I've ever seen her. So Great. I'm really excited to see her. But, again, you just never know at Olympics. Um, we haven't really been able to travel much. There hasn't been a lot of competition, so it's really hard to know where everyone is in the world and who's actually going to end up on those podiums. I mean, obviously, I'm sure China is looking great, but in terms of the other positions on the podiums, um, it's just really hard to know, and I really hope that some of our Aussies are able to get on there because they really deserve it and they're definitely talented enough to to get a medal for sure. This I don't know if you can answer this question a lot. Why are China so good at diving? Like, my goodness, like, like it's one of these sports where, you know, you watch and you, you just basically sign off every single gold medal as China almost, right? Like, the, the, those guys are amazing. I mean, I don't know if they just, as soon as they're born, they're just shoved on a diving board, basically. I mean, it's just, it's crazy how good they are. Yeah, they're amazing. I would actually love to go to a Chinese facility and just watch them train. I think it's just that they have, so many divers that are training, um, especially compared to Australia where it's quite a small sport. It's a really big sport in China and they just have the, I guess, the depth there. Um, and I guess the saying that success breeds success, I mean, that definitely probably works for them. I mean, you've, if you've got the Olympic champion and you're training next to her and, I mean, it's likely that you're going to pick up a lot of her skills and you're going to be at that standard. So, Look, I'm not sure why they're so good. Maybe it's their physicality that really helps. But, um, yeah, I think it just has to do as well with just their work ethic and they've just got so many athletes and perhaps, yeah. Here's a fun trivia fact for you, which you can use this one and anybody listening today. I'm just looking here at the overall medal tally in the history of diving at all Olympic Games uh, and just looking at the top three. So the U.S. apparently have won the most medals over the years and China the third greatest nation in the history of diving, according to this table, is Sweden. I don't know if I've ever seen a Swedish diver before. This must be back in the old days. The Swedes must have been the China of the uh, older Olympics. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. good to know. 
There wow, you go. Use that as a fun little trivia fact. That uh, Sweden are the third most successful nation in diving at the Olympics. So um, then we need to find out when the last time Sweden won a medal at the Olympics. It's probably been uh, quite some time. When it comes to you talk about sort of um, compulsory dives and then kind of the ones that you obviously can can add to it. Is that what what are the compulsory like? So, so what does that generally entail when you're at a competition? Is it just every diver has to do a set dive to kind of just get on the board? I mean, and what makes a dive compulsory? So the compulsory dives, that's just the name that we use. Um, and that's the name that represents the easier dives. So you'll notice in the synchro events, they will typically do two easier looking dives and then they'll get into the hard dives, which we call the optionals. So they're not necessarily compulsory to do, um, but that's just the name that we give them, um, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. So some people also call them required. Um, I'm not really sure why they got that name. Maybe it was because um, in previous Olympics, I think they stopped it in 2004, well, before I started, but they had to do some of these um, simpler dives to begin and then they'd get into their hard dives. So maybe that's where the name comes from, but I'm probably not the best person to ask. Is it is very similar, I guess, in a way to back to say pole vault or, or high jump, where you might start off at a low sort of height just to kind of get your your footing rather than go, okay, well, I'm going for the world record straight away. Yeah, definitely, and it also is um, these compulsory dives. I'm not sure why, but they often hurt the most. Um, I'm not right. sure if that's just because you're falling at a faster speed or what why that is, but um, they're really good just to learn control to work on your takeoffs and to really develop the shoulders, the arms, the, the wrists, um, and to condition that those parts of your bodies, which are really taking the impact um, from the 10 meter. So you'll often see a lot of our younger divers who aren't quite at the stage of doing the front three and a halves or um, the back two and a half pike, whatever it may be. They will often be doing the compulsory dives. So the more simpler dives, which I must admit, they're definitely, they look simple, but they're actually, <laughs> that I find sometimes harder um, because there's so much time where you have to fall. So you really have to get the the takeoff right. Um, so yeah, the young kids will be doing those dives to really start preparing their body for that impact and um, for the harder dives. In terms of the strategy, do you go into a competition and go, okay, well, uh, this is going to be worth a score enough to get me into a final maybe then have to adapt when all of a sudden, you know, five divers have come out and done something five times bigger uh, or do you kind of stick to a plan and kind of just hope that you, you're going to get it and that's going to be enough to sort of progress you in a competition? I would actually love it if we could go in with a bit of a game plan. Um, I think that would be really exciting um, and it's something that I've obviously spoken about with my coach. This is a bit of fun. Um, but, no, in our sport it is very planned. So you actually have to have your dives in 24 hours before the competition and signed off then. Um, before the final, you actually can change your dives if you want, but it's pretty rare. Um, I've actually never known anyone to do that before. So basically you train five dives um, and you just compete those five dives. So yeah, it's, it's pretty planned and you know exactly what you're doing. My order that I compete in always stays the same. And that's what we decided was the best way because I train in that order and so I'm getting used to competing the way that I train, which I think is always what an athlete is trying to do. 
And do you get a chance to see what the other divers are doing? Can you, like, one-up them? So, like, if, you know, somebody yeah. from a Chinese diver submits theirs in earlier, you can sort of have a sneaky sneak and go, oh, okay, well, they're doing that dive. I'm going to do a better one because I'm going to do better than them and that and I'll get a higher score. I wish. I mean, that would be quite a lot of fun. But, again, we literally just train the five dives that we're competing. So, and pretty much um, you'll notice if you watch the Olympics at diving, majority of the divers do the exact same dives. So everyone will be doing a very similar dive list. The order um, of these dives will be obviously very individual. But again, most divers will finish on the back twist. Um, and you'll see that for pretty much the whole round. And that's because that's a safe dive. It's a high difficulty dive. Um, so it means that they can finish generally on a high. What is the hardest? What is like the, the creme de la creme dive that maybe no female athlete has ever competed that somebody's trying or the one that, you know, one person, like what is the one that if you landed, you're going to get a 10, you're going to get a gold, anything along those lines? Um, so I'm not sure if anyone is training any secret dives at the moment, um, but I think the front four and a half is definitely that dive. Um, it's worth, I'm pretty sure, 4.1, I'm pretty sure, which is massive. Um, most of the dives that we do are worth 3.2. So 4.1 dive, if you nail it, you, you're in good state. Gonna, yeah, that's <laughs> going to be a very good score. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm probably sure this is a loaded question or maybe it's an easy question. I don't know. But how does that scoring work? I mean, I, I guess you've just got your basic elements that a judge is looking for. And is it a case of when you're in that 1.6 seconds, you kind of can feel that you've done well. So you're going to get out of the pool and sort of look and go, okay, that's fair enough. Or is it a bit more technical than that? Like you can pull off what you think is an amazing dive and then you look at the, I don't know, the judge from Norway and go, oh, come on, fuck off. Like, come on, I did better than that. <laughs> um, I think re realistically you do know. Um, I know pretty much as soon as I take off how I'm going to, I guess, execute that dive. Um, and that's the whole point of just trying to obviously execute it the best you can. So as soon as I hit the water... I definitely can probably feel if that was a good entry or not. Um, and then obviously coming up, I would say I would have a pretty good idea of what my score would be. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say that, yeah, they usually, you've, you've got a good idea, especially um, when you've been traveling a little bit you and you know how the scoring works. Some competitions can be a little bit tougher than others, but of course it doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day because it's obviously very standard across the whole competition. Um, but yeah, you typically know exactly what you around what you're going to get. Now, you, you don't have to give names, Laura, but you're welcome to. Uh, <laughs> is it a case of when you go to a competition and you see certain judges, it's like, you know, in a game of football, oh, not that ref, like, come on, they're always against, like, do you sort of go and go, oh, shit, not them, I'm not going to do well today? No, it, it really um, isn't like that in diving. I mean, I do know the Australian divers, uh, sorry, the Australian judges, but when I go overseas, um, we have no interaction with them. So I couldn't even tell you who the top American judges or who the top Chinese judges. So it really isn't like that. And I think because in our sport, the two lowest scores and the two highest scores are both scratched out. So um, you're always getting those middle scores anyway, because there are so many judges. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I never even um, look at who's judging the event. For me, it's just if I dive well, then they're going to have to give me a good score. Um, and so that's just pretty much what I'm always just trying to focus on, which is pretty much just focusing on what I can control. 
Going back to my point, I said when I love watching diving, kind of, you know, you think you're doing so well. And then ultimately, I think a lot of us casual observers of diving, maybe we only get to watch it at, at an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games. A lot of it comes down to the entry, the splash. We like to look and go, oh, no splash, that was perfect, or, you know, big splash. I mean, how important is that entry? And is it all about the splash? Does it come down to the fact if there's barely no splash, you're going to get a better score? And if there's a massive splash, well, good good night, you're not going to be doing well. Yeah, definitely a lot of the score is weighted on the entry for sure um, because that just creates the overall um look at the dive. I mean, even just with the audience, if someone does a dive with absolutely no splash, the audience is just going to go wild. So the judges are obviously going to give you a better score. But of course, there is the elements of the takeoff. There is in the air that they're looking at as well. But again, the last thing they see is that entry into the water. I can imagine too, it's a unique sport where when you enter the water, as you're saying, like if the crowd sees it as a good entry, they're going to go crazy. So you kind of, you're deep down, you kind of got that muffled sound and it's almost like when you emerge from the water, then all of a sudden you've got this massive cheer. So it's kind of, it's almost like if you're entering the MCG or something like that, where all of a sudden you've got the sound and as soon as you walk out, that hits you. So I can imagine when you've pulled off a great dive, you're pumped up, you're under the water and you kind of get up and all of a sudden you've got the crowd going. It must be a really great feeling. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that they're the moments that we live for as divers for sure. I, I love talking to figure skaters about the kiss and cry when you sit there awkwardly and just kind of stare at the camera and pretend to be super happy when you're probably really pissed off about the divers, <laughs> uh, the scores, I should say. You've kind of got a sort of thing in diving with, I, I, is it the shower or the hot tub? Like, I mean, is that the kiss or cry? Is that what's, what's that called? And how's that when you've got a camera shoved in your face and you're trying to, you know, compose yourself and be like, oh, I didn't do too well, there's shit. Or like, oh, I did so well, but those scores suck. <laughs> I haven't really ever thought about it, to be honest. Um, I think especially because our scores are coming up after every dive and we have five rounds. So for me, I typically won't actually necessarily look at the score in the middle of the competition. Um, I will obviously, I might obviously will hear them um, and hope that they're at least eights. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And again, I'll just be focusing on the next dive. I'll walk straight over to my coach who'll give me the feedback and then, will be preparing for the next dive. It's not really until the end of the competition that I will actually look at the scoreboard, see what my final score is, perhaps look where I ended up. Um, but again, it's um, I'm just there to enjoy the moment and hopefully I've done really well and support my teammates. And yeah, that's, we definitely, it's, it's, it is very different, um, I think, to figure skating. So, or ice skating. Yeah. I just, I love these just sports when you kind of just have these awkward, I can't wait to see what break dancing's like when all of a sudden, you know, these guys all done up and girls sort of, you know, in these clothes. I can't wait to see the outfits in Paris. Uh, you, you're talking about sort of your injury and kind of coming back to that. You did go to the 2019 World Champs. You, you made the, the semifinals uh, in, in the platform event. I mean, sort of what was that experience like? Did you sort of go into set yourself a goal of a medal finals? I mean, were you kind of satisfied with how that all ended up? I think you always go there to do the best that you can. I mean, obviously, yeah, it'd be nice to go there thinking that I was going to win a medal, but I'm still really new within the sport. And that was actually my first, what I like to call my first big girl competition. So for me, it was really exciting to be there. I was trying to take in as much as I could and, um, and hope to obviously make all the big competitions after that. So for me, um, I didn't necessarily have any expectation, but of course I had an expectation of myself that I wanted to do well. Um, for that competition and for where I was, um, 
I was pretty happy to make the semifinals. As I said, it's quite competitive. A few years net, like obviously a few years on, um, obviously I would be aiming to do a lot better than um, what I did. But as I said, I was still quite a, a new diver. That was my first big competition. I had a steady competition that I was really happy with. Um, and yeah, I was just looking to, to build on that. And at that point, that was about a year out from the Olympics, if all things had have gone normal. So I can imagine then that that was the goal. Did the delay to 2020 help or, or hinder? Because we'll obviously get to what happened uh, with the trials earlier this year in just a second. But do you feel had the Olympics gone ahead as planned that things would have gone differently? I mean, I know you can't really predict an injury, but I mean, how do you think that would have played out had the Olympics gone as scheduled? Yeah, it's, that's a really hard question because, yeah, we can't tell the future. But for me, my 2020 season started off really well. So our season, uh, for me, it started off in November in Malaysia and I got a PB. Um, I competed really well. I was super happy. And then I had the World Cup trials in February and I actually won the synchro with my partner, Nikita, um, which was super exciting. And then I also won the 10-meter individuals. So it was the first time that I had won um, a nationals or trials and I was able to win both my events. So that was really exciting. And my diving had improved quite a lot from 2019. I think 2019 world champs actually gave me quite a lot of confidence um, in my own ability that I was able to bring into that 2020 season. And that was a really great step and a really great um, development point for me in my career that I really look back on. I'm really grateful for that comp. Um, Obviously, then we were traveling um, quite a lot. Nikita and I got to go to Madrid and then we went to the World Series. So that was really exciting. And I like to call it, I was a bit on my dream run. Um, I was really happy with how I was competing. My scores were getting um, higher and higher and I was doing better at these competitions. So I really did feel that I was on track to try and make that 2020 Olympic team. Unfortunately, obviously, the pandemic hit and we were completely shut down. Um, I actually hurt myself when I was training in isolation. So when I was training in, the, in my garage, it was cold. Perhaps I wasn't warmed up enough. I actually hurt my back. So that was also quite hard because that was an injury that I probably struggled with for, um, I think it was eight months in total. So that brought me um, to the start of our 2021 season. So I was a little bit behind schedule. Um, first competition of 2021, I actually got a quite a big PB and I competed really well. So I was, that gave me the confidence moving forward. Um, and yeah, my, as I said, I think each year I'm just getting better and better. And that's probably just because our sport is a numbers game to some degree. And the more, you, the more you're diving, the stronger you're getting and the, the better you're able to execute those dives. So yes, I think that if I um, was healthy this year, I, it would have been a good move to delay that games for me in terms of my, um, I guess in terms of how I was diving, because as I said, I was getting better. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, maybe maybe it would have been better for me last year. <laughs> yeah, it's one of these kind of ones that you you, you never never sort of know. Because I mean, was that then the injury that ultimately led you to withdrawing from the the trials a, a couple of months ago? Or was there a different injury that came about? Yeah, so unfortunately, my back is all good, which is um, really great, but. Unfortunately, about three weeks out from the trials, I had a really unfortunate entry. Um, my arm got stuck behind my leg and it just wasn't prepared for the impact when I hit the water. So I think I just had a really small strain in my tricep. It wasn't um, very worrying in the beginning, but because we were so close to that trials, we kept training. And of course, with any tear, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So 
um, it just got to the point where I actually couldn't use my arm anymore. I couldn't my I couldn't engage my tricep. I still tried to compete at the Olympic trials because obviously um, I was willing to give everything and try and um, make that team. And unfortunately, it just it it wouldn't work and it became unsafe. And so I was medically withdrawn from that competition because it was it was unsafe for me to continue. And I was probably going to do a lot more damage. This injury necessarily isn't that bad. I mean, it's a 10 to 12 recovery time. Um, well, we're hoping, um, but it was just, months? uh, weeks. Okay. Yeah. So right. it's a muscle tear. So it's a nine, I have a nine centimeter muscle tear. So it's a pretty significant, wow. yeah. Tricep tear. Um, but if I'd continued on, not that I think I could have, um, yeah, I, I potentially could have done a lot worse, like done my shoulder or who knows. Um, so, which yeah, I was glad. Obvious question. You're obviously extremely devastated and, and, and disappointed at that moment, but kind of on the flip side, at least with the Olympics being postponed, you've only got three years to the next Olympics rather than four. So, I mean, slight silver lining. But, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine that... With all that effort, everything that you sort of gone through, going right back to when you're saying about watching Sydney as, as a five-year-old, that you're this close and, and that happens. I mean, mentally, Laura, I can imagine that, you know, outside of the physical injury, I mean, how do you, how do you sort of get over that disappointment? Or is it something that you're still sort of trying to deal with? I mean, are you not going to be able to watch Tokyo because it's kind of, you know, still disappointing? Or is it a case of, you know, just drink, drink some coffee and move on and kind of switch focus to 2024? Yeah, I, of course... I was pretty devastated. Um, there was quite a few tears um, and for a few days after as well, I think, especially with how I was diving as well, I did really feel that I was in with a great chance. And um, there was quite a few of us who definitely could have got that second position because Melissa, um, being Melissa, she definitely has her that position. And there was about five or six of us who were really vying for that second position. And we all were very capable of making it. So I think that in itself was quite exciting. And um, just not being able to even have the chance, that was what was really hard. I think if I had competed and, and still not made the team, um, at least that would have been on me. But unfortunately, this was just purely a bit of bad luck and a bit of bad timing. And I think that's just really hard to, to deal with um, because you start to really think, well, what if we had done this? What if we had done that? And I know that's really unproductive. So I really have just tried to, say it is what it is um and just move on but yeah of course it is pretty it is pretty hard I mean even sometimes seeing things on social media <clears throat> about the Olympics like I do get a little bit teary still so um but again I am really happy for the team who have made it I mean we all work just as hard and um for Nikita um she's my synchro partner so we've had quite a lot of heartbreak over the last year with both the World Cup teams um being not allowed to go. So due to COVID so for us, that was both quite hard to deal with as well. And I was lucky to have her and um, we were both really excited for the world cup. So when they kept getting canceled, it was just such a big disappointment for us. So it's really nice that at least Nikita um, has made that team. And um, I don't know, a part of me feels that because she's made it, I've kind of made it as well. So that's really nice. And I, I will be watching um, as hard as it will be. I think that's just life sometimes. Um, you can be as prepared as you want, but sometimes it just doesn't work out and just accepting that and knowing that, look, um, I'm still like com games the next year and yeah, Paris 2024 is three years away. And, um, 
it is nice that it's only three years away, but there's so many competitions that I would like to make before that. Um, and at the end of the day, hopefully by 24, I'm in even a better position and um, who knows, maybe even looking to, you know, maybe I might be in a position to try and get on that podium at 2024. So I think just continuing to work hard, put my head down and really learning from this experience of this injury and um, making sure it doesn't happen again. It is that kind of unique thing, not only that the Olympics are only going to be three years apart, but also, yeah, like the Commonwealth Games usually are, what, two years after an Olympics, but you've only got that 12 months away. You've got a, a World Championships this year. So I, I can imagine that, you know, once this injury sort of fully develops itself, heals and kind of you can get back into to full, you know, training and everything along those lines, that those goals sort of, yeah, can sort of make it go closer to, towards Paris and and who knows Commonwealth Games medals, World Championship medals. We're, we're very positive on this show, Laura. We're just saying we're not saying an if. It's a it's a when. So uh, you know, and you get to get to still see all these great places around the world at the same time. So you know, you're just living many of our dreams, Laura. You know, just, just saying you're an athlete traveling the world. What's not to like? <laughs> yeah, I am pretty lucky, and to be honest, I am very grateful to do what I do. So um, I know a lot of people obviously work really hard and. Um, they don't often get to follow their dreams. So for me, I'm really lucky to have that opportunity and to be able to do that and represent Australia. I'm super, super patriotic. So for me, every time I put on that Australian uniform, it's just a really proud moment. So, um, and they're the moments that I really do live for. In terms of our listeners today, if they, they want to follow your progress sort of towards uh, Paris 2024, uh, can people follow you on social media? I mean, sort of, do you have any sort of channels you want to plug today where people can stay up to date with uh, how, how things are going? Yeah, definitely. Instagram is probably the one that I use the most. Um, and that's just Laura underscore Hingston. Um, of course, send me a message if anyone's questions arise or if any of your listeners want to get in touch. I reply to all of my um, direct messages. And I've just started um, getting more on TikTok. So right. that's just, I think it's just Laura Hingston at TikTok. Um, <laughs> is, there, is there any fancy and, ones? Can divers pull off like really like, can you do like a mid-dive like costume change sort of thing like that to be able to do it? That I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like that would yeah. be a pretty cool TikTok. Maybe. Well, I, I need some ideas. So maybe I'll yeah. jot that one down. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> As welcome. I said, I'm pretty new. <laughs> I'm pretty new to TikTok. I've been viral a couple of times, which has um, been really unexpected. But um, unfortunately, the videos I've been viral for haven't necessarily showed my uh, full talent. They've been the, the fails. <laughs> um, but look, we're all, I'm there for the laugh. And um, if I can laugh at some of my bad dives, then I, I'm glad that other people can too. We promise we won't laugh. We'll, we'll just we'll just <laughs> laugh at the good ones. That doesn't make sense. But hey, we'll, we'll pretend that's a good thing. I have I have no idea what that means, but uh, that's what we do a lot on the show. Laura, it has been an absolute pleasure to, to chat with you today and uh, learn not only about your career but the sport of diving. It's always a sport that I personally love watching at the Olympics. It's always very entertaining, and I know we'll uh, be talking a lot about it in the in the coming weeks during our coverage. But uh, we appreciate your time today, and we look forward to seeing you in Paris 2024. Again, it's not an if; it's when you're at Paris 20. 2024 i'll be working hard to try and make it happen that's for sure <laughs> especially now yes <laughs> if exactly. i wasn't working hard before <laughs> thank you so much for having me
Great chat there with Laura, and once again, thanks to her for her time. Obviously, a bit of a difficult time having the disappointment of not making the Tokyo Olympics, but we wish her all the best moving forward towards Paris 2024. We should also thank to uh, the folks over at Diving Australia for arranging that interview for us as well. We hope to speak to some of the actual Olympians in terms of uh, the people who are competing at Tokyo uh, coming your way after the Olympic Games as well. So stay tuned for that, and we should have a few more for you coming your way after Tokyo. Speaking of coming your way after Tokyo, I'm going to say there's stuff coming your way before Tokyo because we still have some episodes to go before we get to the actual Olympic Games. Of course, I teased last week on our uh, chat uh, with Max that we have a few more interviews and things lined up, and we still do. I can tell you that uh, this week you're going to hear another interview with uh, two athletes who, again, unfortunately did not quite make Tokyo 2020, but also have a very unique sort of interesting story about why they are not heading to the Olympics. We've got two wrestlers for you. The first time that we have ever spoken about the sport about wrestling on this show. Uh, Jaden Lawrence and Connor Evans, two Australian representatives who have done quite well on the world stage. Two-time Commonwealth Games competitor Jaden Lawrence and Connor competed in the Gold Coast in 2018 as well. And uh, both narrowly, narrowly missed out on the team for Tokyo 2020 and of course have also set their sights for Paris 2024 but a unique insight into the sport we learn more about wrestling itself for those of you who are remembering the Roy and HG commentary from Sydney 2000 all the fun little tidbits that they put out there there's a lot more to it than that and also it's not the wrestling where you're hitting each other with steel chairs and ladders matches and cage matches and things like that too so a great chat with Jaden and Connor that will be coming your way this week as well and also this week another interview with uh, somebody who is on the playing to Tokyo, Abdi Abdurrahman, who is an American marathon runner who is competing in, believe it or not, his fifth Olympic Games. Incredible for him. And uh, the oldest member, I believe, on the US athletics team heading to Tokyo. Great story from Abdi. He's actually got a book coming out, so it sort of ties him very well that he's about to go to his fifth Olympic Games. So Colin did that interview. It's a great chat. Highly recommend it. And that will also come out this week for you as well, which leads us into our Tokyo coverage. We may have a Another interview dropping as well before we get to our big epic Tokyo 2020 preview episode. Jared will be joining Colin and myself to go through all the things that you need to know ahead of the Tokyo Olympics. We're going to preview it. We're going to give you the best chances for Australia, the best chances for Canada, and we're going to talk it up and get excited. And of course, as we've teased a few times as well, as it is expected, next week there is expected to be confirmation that Brisbane will be a host city of the Olympic Games in 2032. An incredible moment that will be for Australian Olympic history. And if it's all expected to go ahead as planned the eve of the Olympic Games next week, then Jared and myself, and possibly Colin, we'll see how he feels about it, will be doing a special emergency episode. Not really an emergency episode if we're already planning it, but a special episode discussing the bid, discussing the Olympics, and discussing what that means for Australia and our third time hosting the Olympics in 11 years' time. So hopefully we're not jinxing it. But it's all but uh, set to be signed off next week and be made official. So stay tuned for that. That will drop the eve of the opening ceremony. And then daily coverage of Tokyo 2020. We're bringing it back as we did during Rio, as we did during Pyeongchang. Every single day we will have an episode for you covering all of the events, the medals, the action, the fun bits, the non-fun bits. We'll bag out Channel 7. We'll bag out CBC. We will do it all. 
and we have a blast doing it. So stay tuned for that as we are so excited to bring you the coverage over the coming weeks here on Off The Podium. If you missed our 100th episode, of course, a couple of episodes back, that does cover a whole series of our interviews that we've had in the lead up to this moment and celebrates 100 episodes off the podium. So highly recommend that. And as I mentioned, my chat with Max, Maximilian von Haster, Canadian fencer who is in Tokyo right now. He's made it. Following him on social media, I've seen he has made it across to Tokyo. So he's ready to compete for Canada at the Olympic Games. If you want to learn a little bit more about the sport of fencing, that is a great chat that I do highly recommend. And of course, by listening to these, if you want to listen to these, best way to do is to subscribe to us. All the good podcast channels, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, we're on all of them. Search for Off the Podium, subscribe, and that way you will not miss a single episode during the upcoming Olympic Games. And we are now officially on Instagram. Search for Off the Podium Pod. We'll be posting some great graphics during the Olympics. You can interact with us, and we would love to hear from you throughout the Games. Hashtag OTP is our hashtag, which you can use during the Olympics to communicate with us. Give your thoughts on the show, give your thoughts on the Olympics, and we'll read them out on air throughout the Olympic Games. And you can do the same on Twitter as well, Off the Podium Pod is where we are. Facebook as well. Simply search for Off The Podium Podcast and stay in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts and get excited, of course, for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games. It still seems weird saying that in 2021, but hey, we're going with the official title. Big thanks again to Laura. Big thanks again to Diving Australia. We will speak to you in a few days with our chat with Jaden and Connor about wrestling. In the meantime, my name is Ben. This is Off The Podium and we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so.